but not broken. With host Patrick Scroggins. As a U.S. Army attack helicopter pilot deployed in Iraq, Patrick faced a devastating crash, which resulted in him dying, losing a leg, and a slew of broken bones. Patrick's story of rehabilitation has helped others to overcome their own obstacles. Each week, Patrick recounts stories of inspiration and interviews guests who have overcome remarkable obstacles. This is Wounded But Not Broken with your host, Patrick Scroggins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Wounded But Not Broken. Tonight is a very different episode. Uh, We have a wounded soldier on the line, Kevin Miller. And uh, he's got a very uh, different story uh, about how he got injured. Uh, he was a infantry soldier in the Army and deployed to Afghanistan, and he was hurt in 2008. And I don't want to give too much of it away. So, Kevin? Yeah. Yep. So you just uh, – we'll just, we'll just start into this, man. So, you know, you you, uh, you joined the National Guard. What what? How old were you when you joined the New York National Guard? Or just tell us kind of uh, – Give us kind of a brief summary of, of growing up and kind of how you became to uh, be in the military. Uh, sure. Um, I have many family members that were in the military. Um, I wanted to join the military ever since I was a young kid. Um, I actually did uh, the split-up program for the National Guard. So I did my 11th grade year, and then I went to basic training. I came home. I did my senior year which I actually dropped out of school because I thought I could deploy sooner with the military. Well, that didn't happen. Um, I ended up getting my GED instead, and I ended up going away to my MOS school, um, and I continued my career. Um, I did time for 9-11. I also was full-time National Guard. Out of my 15 years, I have 13 years, nine months full-time. Um, and then I was medically retired in 2013 after being injured in Afghanistan in 08. Right. So when you joined the uh, the National Guard, you joined as an infantry soldier for the National Guard. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Fort Benning, Georgia, Sand Hill. Uh, I actually was a 11 hotel at the time. I was a tow gunner. Uh, when they got rid of tows in 01, they asked me if I wanted to reclass. Um, I said, sure, I'll reclass. I still have my infantry, so I reclassed just to have another MOS. I reclassed as a 63 Bravo, which was all-wheel mechanic at the time, down in Aberdeen Proving Ground. Um, and when I went overseas, I did infantry work instead of doing the mechanic work. So when did you deploy? Uh, I deployed in 2008 uh, to Afghanistan. I was in Gardez our east area of Afghanistan. I was there for about five and a half, six months before I was injured. And so when you, were you attached to standalone with your National Guard or were you attached to somebody? Nope. So when we deployed, I was with the 42nd uh, Infantry Division out of Troy, New York. And when we deployed, we deployed with the 27th Brigade out of Buffalo, New York. And when we were down in Fort Bragg, um, I teamed up with the Fighting 69th from New York City. I knew a bunch of them from time down in 9-11, and I knew they were going to be doing infantry work. So I talked to some of the commanders there and some of the captains and said, hey, would you take me? And they're like, absolutely. Um, And I got transferred to the 
Fighting 69th, and then I served with them when I was overseas. Gotcha. And so you actually, were you, was your unit spun up during uh, 9-11? Uh, so when 9-11 kicked off, I was, the 42nd was technically not the 42nd. It was the 101 Cav, um, and the 101 Cav was activated, um, and that's how I was activated. Okay. And what, what, what roles did you, did you provide during 9-11? I did security. I was at Grand Central, Amtrak, uh, Port Authority. I stayed at Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn. I'd come home on the weekends um, on the Greyhound or on Amtrak, and then I would be home for the weekend, and then I would leave Sunday night or early Monday morning and head back down to the city. Um, I did that for quite some time because I had volunteered to go down, um, and after I was down there for a little while, is when my unit got activated to go down there. Gotcha. And then, so how long, how long did you do that in total? Did, were you in, were you part of like the cleanup and all that stuff or? No, I, I didn't clean up or anything like that. It was mainly security is what I did. Um, I, I was around the pile. I seen the pile. I just, I never put hands on the pile. Got it. <laughs> and so after that, then yeah, I guess there was a period of time where yeah, I get it sounds like you wanted to deploy. It just it took a little while, and you went to Afghanistan. Yes, yep. I so I stayed um, full time National Guard for quite a few years. After that, I was volunteering for whatever waters I could get, or, or working ranges, or doing whatever I could to stay full time. Um, I had a son to support at the time. And I, uh, I was trying to do what I could to uh, support him and myself. Um, and uh, I just kept working full time until we got notified that we were going to be deploying. Um, so I put my name on it to volunteer to deploy, and they accepted me, and I deployed. Gotcha. So you deployed. You went to Afghanistan. Where were you at in Afghanistan? Cardez. So I was in, I was in Kabul for a while. Um, when we first got there, but I, it was only about a couple weeks. And then we drove up to Gardez, and then I was stationed out of Gardez for the remaining time I was there. Okay, yeah, for people that aren't listening and don't know where Gardez is, can you geographically? Yep. Uh, the, so the east area of Afghanistan uh, is where I was. Okay. And then what, what missions did you perform in Afghanistan, or what, what was the normal day for you? Uh, it depends on, we were on weekly rotations. So sometimes we would pull, sometimes we would pull tower guard. Uh, sometimes we would be going out on missions, uh, to do security or to do convoy security, um, or escorts. Uh, we did escorts with, uh, escorting the U S mail for the troops and stuff. Uh, we would do escorts for, uh, anything that we were getting for our PXs. Um, that were coming to our bases. Um, we would go back and forth to Kabul a lot um, and then stay down there for the night, uh, resupply, and then come back up to Gardez the next day. We weren't allowed to travel uh, at dusk or later uh, because of ambushes and IEDs and things like that. So they, they always had us traveling during the day. Right, right. And so what what was your thoughts of once you arrived to Afghanistan of kind of, um, because, you know, it, it had been well, uh, you know, the war had been well underway by then. So what, what was the, what was your impressions when you first got the, I guess, just your opinion on everything in Afghanistan? 
I mean, I, I have never seen a place like that before. I never knew the devastation that was really out there um, until I went there and then seen it firsthand on how other people were living uh, and how other people were able to take care of themselves. Um, there, I, I met a lot of people that wanted us there, and I met a lot of people that were proud to have us there. But then there was also quite a few people that, of course, didn't want us there and wanted us to go home. Um, so it was a bunch of mixed feelings. Um, we used to take uh, the little kids and give them, like, snapples and candy bars and things like that because you could tell they just didn't have anything. Um, so I, I had kids, and so I was trying to keep that in mind. Um, it was uh, it was definitely different though. It was scary. Um, I mean, you name it, the feelings crossed me at some point during my time of being there. Uh, just living on the base, the way I was living, um, seeing what I've seen, pictures I've taken that I've looked back on now, the way the terrain was. I mean, there was beautiful mountain features over there. I mean, there was snow. I, I was making snowmen in the middle of the night, and by 6 o'clock in the morning, it was melting again. So it was just very different than what I've been ever exposed to before. Right. Yeah, I think I think you said something that, that you know, I think it's a very important point that people listening and, um, you know, just the general population of the United States, just given – given this that our country's in right now, everybody seems to bitch and gripe about everything. Right. And so, you know, at my work, when I, when I have to pull somebody in my office and talk to them, I often lead off. You don't realize how good you have it. And, you know, not, that's not more apparent than when you go to a place like, like Afghanistan or Iraq and see how, you know, other cultures live and how poverty stricken they are. And, you know, and, and it's just, it's, it's it's really eye-opening. I mean, uh, but, you know, it, it's it's hard for me to hear people griping about what they have here uh, and knowing the things that I've seen in my military career and in my life, you know? Right. I, I can 100% agree with that. I mean, I, you hear people complain about certain things, and it's like, you know you could just hit a switch and have water. You can hit a switch and have electric. You can hit a switch and have whatever you want. You can pick up a phone and do whatever you want. People don't have that in other countries, especially in Iraq or Afghanistan. When you're in your mid-30s and you're considered a village elder because of your age, that's pretty shocking to know that. We're back here in the country. We have many people in their 30s, and they're not running anything. But over there, they're running entire villages in their 30s because they're the oldest person in their village sometimes. Right. Yeah, and it, it's not only that, but, I mean, it's it's – there's so many opportunities that we're accustomed to that we take for granted. There's so many jobs in the U S that, but, you know, but we've gotten to this culture to where the younger people know I'm too good for that now, or I don't, I don't want to do that. And that, you know, and it's in other places like Afghanistan, Iraq and mold Africa. I mean, all kinds of other places that you don't have that luxury. If you got a job, you, you take the job and you work your, you work your tail off to, to, to get, you know, hundred dollars a month and here you know i know you know everything's expensive i got it but i just feel like the united states uh you know with so much negativity uh, in the past year or something with everything going on it's still the greatest country on earth we said if you're willing to bust your ass and work hard and 
you know, not take no for an answer. You can get as far as you want to go in this country as long as you're you're halfway intelligent. Right, that's very true. But uh, yeah, so you know, I I, I want to. I think this would be a good time. We're going to go ahead and just take a break. And when we come back, we're going to get into uh, your injury. And it's something that I guarantee you that nobody's missing has heard. Uh, I I was pretty shocked when I heard it. So uh, word from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll we'll dive right into your injury. That was good. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken. With host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, here with Kevin Miller. And uh, this, we're just going to let Kevin go into how he was injured and uh, let everybody get blown away like I was. So go ahead, Kevin. Okay, so when I was in Afghanistan, I was a big chewer. Um, I would go through about a can, can and a half a day. With tobacco. Can, can of tobacco, yep. Uh, and 
I was actually poisoned with cyanide and heroin in my chewing tobacco. It was a case of espionage. Um, we got murdered one night. I didn't report for my duty station. They were looking for me. Um, they came in my room and they found me down on my right side, not breathing. Uh, they called the medics in. By the time the medics got there, they said it was five minutes without oxygen that they know of. Uh, they treated me in my room. I ended up having uh, four cardiac arrests, three brain bleeds, five of my main organs shut down, seven chest tubes, two dialysis tubes, and they drilled in the back of my head twice to relieve the pressure from my brain bleeds. I was also in a coma and on life support from July 28th to August 24th of 08. Uh, they ended up calling my parents. The military called my parents, um, told them I was dying. Uh, they had to, they flew them to Germany. They ended up not being able to fly me out of Afghanistan for about a week because uh, it was too hot with firefight. Uh, they brought me from Gardez to Bath, Afghanistan. Um, I was all in a coma for all this. They ended up shipping me from Bath with my own flight crew uh, to keep me alive to Landstuhl, Germany where my parents were waiting for me uh, to see me because they all thought I was going to die. Uh, my mother was a retired nurse from my local VA. She did 35 years at the VA. Um, she saw me, and she told me she thought I was going to die. She said, I didn't think you were going to come back. Uh, your body was too screwed up. Your nerves were too screwed up. You're, you were just gone. Um, during the time of me being in my coma, when I was overseas, I weighed 280, but I was a big 280. Um, I'm 6'3". Uh, I just big-bodied. Um, and by the time I got to Launchstool, I had dropped weight. Um, and then because of my organ failure, I ended up gaining weight. So within the month, I went from 280 down to 200 up to 460 and then i came out of my coma and when i came out of my coma i weighed 160 um and it was all from the water weight and the fluids and everything that was on my body uh for me being in a coma and on life support um they ended up flying my so my father ended up flying back home after he seen me for a little bit to take care of my brothers and my son and my mother stayed with me to advocate for me. And she ended up flying with me to Walter Reed when Walter Reed was still open in D.C. And I ended up coming out of my coma one day. Um, wasn't planning on coming out of the coma. Nobody thought I was going to come out of the coma. And I ended up coming out of the coma and asking my mother, why are you in Afghanistan? And she was like, you're not in Afghanistan. And I said, where am I? And I started freaking out because I thought I got murdered when I was sleeping or, or something like that I thought had happened to me. I didn't know what happened to me yet. And I ended up trying to pull all my tubes out. The nurses and doctors came in, gave me something really awesome, I guess, because I went right back to sleep again for some time. Uh, I ended up waking up uh, a few hours later. And I was strapped to the bed, um, so I wouldn't hurt myself or try to pull my tubes out. And my mother uh, sat there and started to tell me 
how I was poisoned um, with cyanide and heroin in my chewing tobacco um, and that there was enough cyanide and heroin in half a can of chew to kill seven people. Yet me being 25 at the time, I was able to live through it and come out of the coma and come off of life support and come back to not as a normal person so much because I have many lying issues that I live with daily now, um, but telling me what had happened, um, how CID, the investigation team, had gotten called in uh, to find out what happened to me because nobody knew what happened to me. Um, So the investigation team got called in, and they ended up finding the chew. And when they tested it, they found the cyanide and heroin. They said a big factor of finding that was the jaundice color that I had throughout my whole body uh, for quite some time because of the poisoning that had happened to me. Wow. So did, did they ever try to, did they ever determine who did it or how it was done or? So they did a huge investigation, of course. And at first they were like, well, did he get in a firefight with somebody and maybe kill somebody that was higher up in the Taliban? And, that was a no. Um, and then they were like, well, let's look into this now. And they started looking into all other avenues and they couldn't find an avenue of why it was me. Um, it wasn't targeted towards me. Um, in the end, they said they were just looking to take out a soldier and I had shit luck and I was the one that got the can. So how did, how did they get it in the can though? So we were allowed to buy stuff from our local bazaars, from the Afghani bazaars that we had on our base. And the bazaar where we were buying the chewing tobacco from uh, was somebody, I guess, working with the Taliban at the time, because when they went back looking, they couldn't find that person anymore. Oh, gotcha. So, you know, you wake up out of a coma and you, how long before you actually, because the, the coma stuff and, and me is kind of similar, but how, how long before you actually were coherent and you kind of could understand and you're, you're like, shit, my life's changed, you know? Uh, it was probably, I'd say a good couple days because they weren't sure of how many of my injuries I had at the time would stay with me. When they found me down, I was laying on my right side. Um, and I had anoxia, loss of oxygen to the brain. And when you have that, it affects the furthest parts from your brain to salvage your brain. Well, when I was laying on my right side for that long without oxygen, it completely paralyzed my whole right side. So I ended up now, I'm a below the knee amputee uh, on my right side for my leg because my um, nerve damage never came back uh, to get feeling again in my leg. Um, 90% of my body is still permanent nerve damage uh, from the cyanide and heroin. So walk us through the, the recovery. I mean, once you, how long before you were, when, at, at what point did they say, okay, we're going to have to amputate your leg? Well, that, <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll tell you how it went. Um, so when I was down in Walter Reed, uh, my parents were coming down more often. They were staying with me. I was at the Malone house. I was doing PT regularly, daily. Um, I, had, I was 25 at the time, and I could not even put my own underwear on. My son had to help me get dressed. He had to help me put my socks on, my underwear on. 
I couldn't bathe properly by myself. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't dress myself. I couldn't even speak properly uh, when I came out of my coma. I had to go through PT, OT. Um, I had to learn how to cook again. My, the first thing I cooked was about a month after I was out of my coma, and it was a bag of popcorn in the microwave um, because I just couldn't remember how to do anything because of how screwed up I was with my nerve damage and the anoxia um, for, to my brain. Um, so I ended up staying at Walter Reed. Oh, geez. Let me think here. So I got in 08, got there in 09. I was there probably till... 2009 maybe in the middle of 2009 i stayed at walter reed the whole time um and my leg was never coming back it was just dead it was limp um i looked like a zombie when i walked because i just dragged my right to the side um because if i tried to bend it at the knee i couldn't feel it so i would just fall on the ground because i didn't know how far i was bending my knee forward um so i ended up coming back to my house I was doing physical therapy and everything at the VA still when I came back home and I was still active duty at the time. And I said, you know, my leg isn't getting any better. Why don't you cut it off? And they said, what? And I said, you heard me. I said, why don't you cut my leg off? And they were like, well, we can't do that. And I said, well, why can't you? And they said, well, your leg is normal. And I said, this isn't normal. I said, dragging your leg around, not being able to walk properly, not being able to be outside with your child and play ball or anything like that. I said, that's not a normal life for me. I said, I'm very active. I stay active. I'm outdoorsman. I, I like animals. I have farms, all this stuff. I said, I don't want this. And they said, well, we don't want to cut your leg off here. And that was at my VA. So I said, well, I don't have to listen to you because you're just the VA. I'm going to contact Walter Reed. So I ended up contacting Walter Reed and I said, I want you to cut my leg off. And they said, what? And I said, my leg's dead. It's permanent nerve damage. It's black and blue. It's like a diabetic limb. I have neuropathy. I said, it's, it's no good. I said, just get rid of it. And they said, well, you got to go through some psych testing first. We got to make sure you're coherent with this stuff. And, everything. and I said, Roger that. Let's do it. So I had to go through some EMG testing. They did a bunch of nerve testing on me, uh, stuck needles down in my leg to, to see if I could feel it with electric shock. Couldn't feel it. It was dead. So they said, okay, we'll cut it off. And I said, okay, fine. So I traveled back to Walter Reed. Um, it was March 25th of 2010 is when I had my leg cut off. It was a Friday. Um, I went down Thursday night. I was there with my wife or my fiance at the time and my mother. And uh, they came in, they checked my leg out. They're like, yep, it's dead. Are you sure you want to do this? There's no going back. I said, if I'm going to have 1% better life, they said, that's the 1% I want. I said, because this just isn't a life for me. And they said, okay, fine. So I ended up getting my leg cut off the next day on a Friday. Um, I actually ended up getting, um, an infection on Sunday. Um, I had E. coli, uh, they ended up cutting me back open on Sunday and putting antibiotic beads inside my stump. And then they stitched me back up and Monday came and I went home for two weeks to let the stitches heal. 
I came back to Walter Reed and I started my recovery of being an amputee. Um, and I stayed down there for about a year and a half, two years. I stayed at Walter Reed and then I ended up, uh, coming back home. Um, while I was down there, I had had multiple other infections while I was down there to where they had to cut me back open again. Um, I've had multiple revisions done on my amputation. Um, they've ended up taking at least three to four more inches off of my stump since I had my amputation in 2010. Um, and I just kept plugging away at just trying to learn how to walk, how to cope with life, how to deal with my PTSD, my nerve damage, missing a leg, and everything else that comes with the joys of being injured overseas. Wow, what a journey. So we're going to take another short break here, a word from our sponsors when we uh, come back, more of uh, Kevin Miller's story. You're listening to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated, it's cumbersome, and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. Welcome back to Wounded But Not Broken with host Patrick Scroggin. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome back here with Kevin Miller. Hey, Kevin, I got a I got a question for you, and, and this is something that uh, you know I think the listeners are very in tune to as far as like how you deal with something like that. I, you know what you did to keep yourself motivated. What you know what it was like. You know, making that decision to cut your leg off and moving forward, and how did you stay positive? It was hard. Uh, it wasn't easy. Um, I, I I wanted better quality of life. Um, I didn't want to be one of these people that just couldn't get around. I mean, I, I was 25 at the time, and I have my whole life ahead of me. Um, I wanted to still make a difference, I guess, or still be part of society without a drain on it. Um, and I knew it was going to be a rough road if I kept my leg because of how badly it was destroyed with nerve damage. Um, I mean, like if you've seen my leg, it was purple, it was black and blue. Um, it was cold. It was just a dead limb. It was just uh, the best way I could describe it is like a diabetic limb with just a lot of neuropathy. Um, and it wasn't ever going to get better. Uh, they said if it was going to get better, my feeling and sensation would have came back within a year, year and a half. Um, and when that year, year and a half came around, it was still as it was when I came out of my coma. Gotcha. But you kept the movement in your knee, I'm assuming, right? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I still can't feel my knee, uh, my right knee. I can't feel my right hip. Uh, I can't feel my right thigh, my right butt cheek. Um, I can't feel any of it. Uh, but I could still get around like a normal person with a prosthetic and it took some time. It wasn't easy, but I kept doing it and I kept fighting and I kept trying and I finally got the knack of it and I learned the tricks of the trade that you pick up being an amputee and it's been a better life for me being an amputee than it would have ever been with a dead limb. All right. Wow, that's a that's an amazing story. And so, so propelling forward, I'm gonna see you. You ended up uh, retiring from the National Guard. Yep. I uh, so I, uh, so I was on med hold for five years. Um, they had started my med board, and as soon as I got my leg cut off, they had stopped my med board, and they restarted it again once I was done with my PT. Uh, while I was on my med board, I boned up on the VA, I boned up on the military, and I learned what I earned and what I should go after. Um, so during that time of doing medical appointments and everything that else comes along with it, I was also researching the best way to advocate for myself when I was getting out of the military. Gotcha. And so, so you get out and this, I want to, I want to get on this too, because you, you know, this is kind of a trend with everybody that I have on my show, all my friends and myself included, you know, you get out and you don't stop there. You you feel like, you know, your, your mission's not complete and you want to keep on giving back. And so let's talk about what you're doing now and what you've done uh, with your life after injury. Sure. Uh, so I had never gone to college before. Uh, like I said, I dropped out of school thinking I could leave with the military sooner. Uh, so when I was going through my med board, 
I was hitting a lot of closing doors on myself from people not willing to help. And I said, you know, I'm a vet. It doesn't mean you have to kiss my butt, but I earned these certain things. I've earned this stuff through the VA. I have earned this stuff through the military for my 15 years of service. And they didn't want to help me. So I ended up advocating for myself. I ended up medically retiring in 2013, uh, February 27th. I got out with 15 years. Um, I'm 90% disabled through the Army. I'm 100% with employability through the VA. And I realized that, you know, I said, if I'm, and I had connections, I have connections in my county and my state uh, political affiliations. And I said, you know, I, here I am somebody with connections and political affiliations, and I'm still having these doors shut on me. I said, I wonder what it's like for other veterans that are going through the same stuff and they don't have these phone numbers of political people or contacts to call. So I ended up going to school, uh, getting my degree in uh, counseling. I have my case acts for substance abuse counseling, and I work with vets. I actually run the vet court for my county, so I deal with incarcerated veterans on felony levels with drug and alcohol addiction uh, to help them get into rehabs that they need or to help them fight the VA system or to help them fight the military system and receive the benefits that they've earned. Um, so I've been doing that now for about four years. Um, I had also started a nonprofit uh, quite a few years ago now that I take disabled veterans to uh, Yankees games. Um, I also started a alcohol addiction program called Warriors Anonymous, and it's for military, firemen, police, and EMS, active or retired, that have um, alcohol addiction. So I, I do that also for my county, um, and I just try to help any vet from any, any error that needs help. If they need help with something, whether it's paperwork or a phone call to be made or something, I help them in my county to get what they've earned instead of them beating their head against the wall and not getting what they've earned or taking their life because they're tired of fighting the bureaucracy from the VA or from the state over things they've earned. Um, and I just, I keep doing it. I, I've been able to help numerous veterans. I've been able to help overturn dishonorable discharges. I've helped incarcerated veterans get their monies transferred to their family while they're incarcerated. Um, I just, I, I sit there and I just help vets. I use all my contacts for good instead of squandering them for myself. I use them to help vets because I'm doing okay in my life and I want other vets to see, hey, you can go through a lot of crap and you could still come out really clean and shiny on the other end. You just got to keep fighting or you got to find somebody like myself that just knows the system and can help you navigate the system or can help you call a political favor in to get somebody to help you when nobody else will help you. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks for what you do. And you. Uh, how did your how do you raise money for your nonprofit? So my nonprofit, I have shirts, uh, I sell T-shirts. I also have uh, sponsors that will buy a 
boatload of t-shirts. Um, and then they'll also sponsor money for us to go down there. I usually rent a 15 pack van, um, and take the vets down in that. And then I cover all the food and non-alcoholic beverages and the transportation to and from. Uh, when I was down at Walter Reed the whole time, I met quite a few people um, in professional sports when I was down there. And I met some GMs and I met some CFOs and I just, and they would listen. And I not say friends with them, but they know who I am and they were willing to work with me and help veterans because they are in support of veterans also. Right. That's awesome. So if, if somebody wanted to, to help you out or get a t-shirt, where would they go? Uh, they can reach out and email me um, or they can call me. I also have a website. Uh, my email is capital K lowercase M I L L one eight seven at AOL. I think I'm probably the only person in the world that still has an AOL account. Uh, <laughs> my phone number is 518-858-4341. That's my cell phone. Um, the program is called Warriors in the Bronx. I actually had to go through uh, Major League Baseball because I took the Yankee symbol and I used the Yankee symbol, but I have it camoed out. And then I have all five branches of logos above it uh, with dog tags hanging on it saying Warriors in the Bronx. Um, And once they realized what I was doing, they were fine with it and the Yankees were fine with it and they were willing to work with me and help me. That's awesome. That's super cool. So uh, one last question for you. So if you had it to do all over again, or if you could change anything, what would you change? I don't think I would change anything, to be honest with you. Um, I would still join the military again. I would still go overseas. I would still buy that can of chew. Um, And the reason I say that is because I was young at the time when this happened. I'm going to be 40 this year, and I've only been able to progress in my helping and lending a hand to vets ever since I was hurt. Um, I came home screwed up. I came home with bad PTSD, came home with bad rage. Um, anything else that you can come home with, I came home with it. My wife can testify to it. Um, and it just, it changed me. It changed me for the good and it changed me for the bad. Uh, but the good outweighed the bad and the good kept pushing to help me get better. And once I was able to get done advocating for myself, I was like, you know, I'm good. I I live a nice life. I live comfortably. And I want other veterans to feel this same thing that I have. You know, I don't want them to be looked at differently or think they're a burden. So I want to keep helping. And that's where the good came in. Yeah, it sucks to get up in the middle of the night and put a leg on and go to the bathroom. But at the same time, the time I'm having bad days, I think about the good I do, or I think about, hey, I get the local police department to call me and they say, hey, Kevin, we got this vet. We need help. And I'm like, I got you. I'm right there. And I go to the local police department or whoever calls me in my county and I talk to the vet and I work with the vet and even homeless vets. And being able to take a homeless vet in my own vehicle and get them lunch and then bring them to the VA to somebody that's willing to work with them and get them housing it's worth it 
because I'm helping that vet and I'm able to get them some support and give them something that they didn't have before. So that's where my good is. And I, I wouldn't change that. You know, I, I've done a lot more now that I'm older than I did when I was in the service. I'm able to help a lot more vets now than I ever did. So that came with me getting injured and you know, it, it sucks, but it's the fact of life. Yeah. I don't think you could have said it any better. Well, man, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on, especially on short notice. Uh, man, you, you, it's an amazing story that you have, and you do uh, a lot of good. And, you know, I want to thank you for that. Yes. All right, man. So in closing, um, I think, uh, you know, as, ever, as I say a lot, you know, there's a trend in, in my shows and with the people that I have on the shows. Um, you know, it's a brotherhood. Uh, being in the military is uh, an honor, and it's a uh, it's something that you can never replace. And, and you, the brothers and sisters that you make, you never want to leave them hanging. And that's why every single person gives back after they get hurt. Every single one does. And it's it's truly inspiring to stand amongst giants. And I just hope everybody um, can listen to these stories. And this story tonight, this is a very, uh, very rare story and you know it's such a great story and he's had and kevin's got such a great attitude and 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 his need to give back and and do good and drive forward and push forward and you know it's a healing process for him as well for other people and i think that's that's super important for us to understand that you know when soldiers get hurt it's not just it's not about themselves it's 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 about everybody else and uh, that's a common theme in these shows and um, you know, I just, I hope everybody enjoyed the show tonight and, uh, I hope everybody has a great week and do what I interject really quick. Yeah, go ahead. So when you were sitting there talking about veterans, helping veterans, if you really think about it, who knows a disabled veteran better than a disabled veteran, you can, you can talk all the game in the world, but if you're standing there and you're broken and you're beat up and you're bruised you're not going to want to talk to somebody that's a slick sleeve or somebody that's only been in a couple of years or has never even pain or anguish that you had to endure. But when you look at another broken vet, you get the, you get the same pride because you're willing to listen and you're willing to help because that vet's broken too. So vets that are broken, they relate better to other vets that are broken. And that's just the facts of life. It just, that's how it is. I mean, you can, you could support the military all you want, and that's great, and I love it, and other people love it too. But when you got a vet that's down deep in the trenches in his mind and not doing the greatest, the only one that's really going to pull him out is another vet that's been in those trenches and knows to fight the battles in your head or fight the battles in the hospital or anything like that so you can relate on a very much higher level. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you always you always want to look to what you can relate to and nobody, you know, the, uh, me being wounded and, and missing a leg above the knee and, and as many injuries as I have, I can talk to people differently than and than somebody that hasn't been through it. Yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's for sure. But, yeah, again, man, I want to thank you again for coming on the show and I'll keep in touch with you and I hope everybody has a great week. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. Tune in next Monday night and we'll have another surprisingly awesome show and uh take care god bless you're listening to wounded but not broken with host patrick scroggins
Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. Attention, all U.S. veterans. You have served this country with honor and pride. So why is it so difficult to receive the benefits you deserve? Filing a VA claim is complicated. It's cumbersome and time-consuming. Many veterans have a problem identifying what conditions they should apply for. VDAC, Veterans Disability Application Caddy, is an online application that greatly assists you with filling out your application and identifying the disabilities that you're entitled to. The VDAC process takes about 15 to 30 minutes from start to finish. The entire process is simple and easy to use. The software automatically cross-references the VA database to determine what presumptive conditions you are entitled to as well as any secondary conditions. Once done, a fully completed VA form is generated with supporting material. To find out more, go to nifv.org and click on the VDAC button. Again, the website is nifv.org and click on VDAC. CBN, Veterans Broadcast Network, brings you Wounded But Not Broken, hosted by Patrick Scroggin. It lies within you to conquer your greatest challenges. Patrick tackles the stories of how others faced unthinkable odds and then at a pivotal moment, a change occurred within them that gave them the strength, attitude, and direction to excel beyond the greatest expectations. Listen every week and learn how it is possible to defeat the impossible. 